0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about technology. It comes from a story about how we've learned that people are doing a good job staying home during the wave three of the pandemic, but we learned it by technology that they say isn't really tracking us, but clearly it is because it knows when you're home or not. Anyway, we'll talk about whether that's a good thing or not. We're going to talk about entertainment and whether or not we are creating left and right entertainment. That seems to be the way things are going. We're dividing the world of entertainment into silos. And we will be discussing whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that Olympic athletes will not be able to protest in any way on a podium, on the field, anywhere else in Tokyo. Should they have that freedom or is it a good thing that we don't have to watch politics when we're watching our sports? Stick around
1: today on the Scott Radley show on 900 CHML.
0: There was a story in the spectator today that told about how more people are staying home to fight against the third wave in the city of Hamilton. And that's a good thing, I guess. I mean, I'm sure that's a good thing. More people who are willing to buy in and not venture from their house and, 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 you know, listening to the stay at home order and all that kind of stuff. That's a good thing. There is a story within the story. If you read this, and let me me read you a bit of a paragraph out of here. The number of Hamiltonians heading out and about, defined as more than 500 meters beyond your home area, stayed relatively constant week to week through March and into early April, according to anonymized cell phone location data collected by Environics Analytics, a marketing and analytical services firm. All right. You catch that? So how we know that people are staying home is through your technology, by keeping track of your movements. While the companies say the information was anonymous and will assume that they are telling the truth, it really does serve as a visceral reminder that we are always, if you've got any kind of technology, we're being tracked. People know where we are. I don't mean to be paranoid. It's not what this is about. It's just you start to wonder, is this comforting because we learn good news, that people are following the rules and this helps us, or should it be a little bit concerning? Alan Mendelson is a lawyer who specializes in internet and technology issues. There are a couple of people in this country who are at the absolute top of their field in this. Uh, Alan is one of those. He joins us now. Alan, how are you? It's been a long time. Hi,
2: Scott. How are you? Thank you for that wonderful compliment, uh, complimentary introduction.
0: Well, I mean, it's absolutely true. And and we love having you on here. And, you know, when we talk about people and their phones being tracked, sounds almost Orwellian. I mean, I almost hate that word, but everybody at this point knows that when they carry their phone around, that you are able to be followed. Right. I mean, that's not a surprise to anyone anymore, is it?
2: Well, I I, I imagine there's still some percentage of the population who don't really know that, um, who still believe that they are just carrying around a phone, uh, that they can make calls on and listen to podcasts on and check the Internet and their email whenever they get a chance. Um, And they may not necessarily know uh, anything about location services, or, you know, any of the other apps that may possibly be tracking you.
0: But let's say for the, I don't know, let's even say 80%, I think that's low, but let's say for the 80% who do, we have essentially become conditioned to the idea to the point where I think most of us don't even think of it anymore. It's certainly not something that we're walking around saying, oh my, they're following me. It's just part of everyday modern life.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, and the, the, the current, I mean, the current saying or you know meme on the internet is something along the lines of well you know everyone the the conspiracy theorists say that getting a covid-19 vaccine is going to have allow microsoft to trace you but the fact is the phone has been allowing microsoft or apple or google or anyone you know depending on your settings to be tracing you for the last five or ten years, so please, everyone, get your COVID nineteen vaccine when you Yeah,
0: well, but there's a social contract then at play here that we are we are trusting that the companies and anyone else who has access that they have the capacity to do this, but they're going to not going to do benign things, not malicious things, and the data that is being collected is largely going to remain anonymous. We've we we sort of traded off the convenience of the phone for the understanding that's happening.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I think we've all agreed or most people have agreed. I mean, there are still, uh, you know, there are people out there who are I mean, technophobe is the wrong word, but so technologically savvy that they are able to sort of disable everything on their phone that, you know, may provide for some sort of tracking services uh, to companies that are providing the phone or providing apps on the phone, you know, and it's interesting to note that apple has developed a new model with respect to certain uh, data collection information in its latest release of ios that starts to begin the transformation of what happens to the data on your phone
0: well here's the thing this story points out very clearly that the data that they collected is anonymous and it, you know, and again, not to dive too deeply, not to be a conspiracy theorist, that's not what it is. What they have released is anonymous, but if they can say that you are staying within 500 meters of your home, what they've released may be anonymous, but what they've collected clearly is not entirely anonymous. They know something more than that about you. Correct. They know most likely
2: the address of your home. They, or they are at least able to determine that if they really wanted to. And again, it it does return to your social contract situation. Um, You know, which companies are only doing the absolute best privacy practices and which companies who are collecting the same data, uh, let's divide them for lack of a, you know, for easy determinations between the good companies and the bad companies even though it's probably more of a scale. Um, You know, the good companies who are only collecting the data in order to provide you with the services they need to provide and not turning over any personalized information to third parties or releasing it to the public versus bad companies that, you know, do literally the opposite. So, you know, determining when that is... The problem is, is determining when that is happening and which actors fall into that good-bad dichotomy or good-bad spectrum. You know, those are the issues that we're all wrestling with right now.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: If you watch a crime show on TV, and most people probably would, or a movie or something, you see these great cases being solved because police triangulated cell phone positions off cell towers. And we go, man, that's amazing. Way to use that technology. That's fantastic. I love that you caught the person doing that. But bad guys aren't the only ones with cell phones. That kind of becomes the reminder that anyone can really be known where you are almost any time.
2: Uh, Yeah, that is true. Uh, You know, I I think we need to recognize the fact that from a legal standpoint, uh, what happens on Law & Order or any crime show, you know, generally, if someone is being tracked by the police or, you know, other authorities, you know, those authorities have received um, a warrant from a judge who has, you know, determined that there is some sort of probable cause uh, to track that person, um, you know, via their phone. So let's start with that distinction. But the basic point that anyone is traceable, you know, whether a criminal or just an average individual um, via their technology and their phone, that absolutely still stands. Um, Whether, you know, the, the difference being is the ability or not necessarily the ability, but the legitimacy for a private company to be tracking your location versus um, the police in furtherance of their search for a criminal, um, sort of two very different legal standards.
0: hundred percent. It not, not the, not suggesting that everyone is being followed all the time, but that the capability oh, yeah. exists to do this.
2: Oh, absolutely. And there's no question. Uh, you know, there's, And it's not, you know, even the most technological savvy uh, person who disables every single location service on their phone, who is able to, you know, really modify their phone to the point where it's quote-unquote untraceable. As soon as you make a phone call, your phone is traceable. You're, You're maybe not to the exact particular location, but pretty darn close because your cell phone to make a phone call, sends a signal to the most closest cell tower. um, And those cell towers are all over your city, my city, all over the country, all over the world. And any authority or company, you know, could in theory track it via that particular uh, technology. So, yes, there's no question um, that in any circumstance, your phone is, traceable by just about anyone, if necessary.
0: You talked about the settings. I wanted to get to this because I find this fascinating. I tried to do this today. I had to look it up, but I have an iPhone. And if I want to get to a bunch of different features very quickly, I turn on my phone, I sweep up from the bottom and a whole screen of one-touch options, come on airplane mode or flashlight or turn off or on my Wi-Fi or camera, whatever, not on there on the one-touch options, the easy thing. Is turning off any of my location servers to do that? You got to dig around, and if you don't know what you're doing, it's complicated. It's doable, obviously. Yeah. Is do you think it's intentional that that's not there as an easy thing because people would use it a lot if it was easy, or do you think that's just there's not enough room on that screen so Apple hasn't put it there?
2: No, I, I, I the the problem is is that location services are both the thing that allows anyone to track where you are. But at the same time, there are incredible positive advantages to a program or an application knowing where you are. So if I need to get somewhere and I open up Google Maps, Google Maps needs to know where I am at that particular location. If I need to uh, find the nearest Uh, pharmacy because I, I need some medication. Well, Google location services allows the phone to find the absolute nearest pharmacy to me. So that's, I think, the bigger issue is that what makes a smartphone so great in its ability to tailor certain things to you is at the same time what makes a smartphone so nefarious in that it is able to track whatever you do.
0: It is, um, it's fascinating. It's a little disturbing at times. It's exciting in other ways. I mean, you know, one of the things about this is if you ever had a medical emergency or something, they can find you through your iPhone. But, you know, there's so many good and there's so many bad things here. But I think when I read this story today, worth a reminder that you know you're not walking around in absolute secrecy you're not off the grid when even if your phone is not necessarily on or being operated right then uh, alan mendelson we always love having you on thanks for taking a few minutes today really appreciate you doing this
2: it's my pleasure and to you and to all your listeners in ontario please uh, stay safe stay inside and we hope that, that this pandemic will
1: be over soon you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
0: The other night on the show, Leslie Stewart was here and we were chatting about all kinds of stuff, Leslie Stewart from CHCH, we were talking about all kinds of stuff and one of the things that came into the discussion was the Academy Awards and the pretty awful ratings that it has been getting on television. I mean, the ratings have been not great for a long time, going down pretty consistently and then this year, absolutely cratered. This year's Academy Awards were down 58%, 58% down just from last year. That that is the bottom falling out. And Leslie and I were sitting here debating why this might be. Is it that the movies are bad? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Is it COVID? Well, that might explain a little bit about this year, but this has been an ongoing issue. So that's probably not the full answer. Could it be that the stars are not big enough stars? They're not glitzy Hollywood, whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's it. And then we stumbled on an idea that we banged around for a little while there and talked about, and that was, could politics be at play at all in this? Well, lo and behold, just a few days after we finished talking about this, I see this piece that is written under the headline, Entertainment Tribalism, and the loss of common ground. It's in the C2C to C to C Journal. Uh, the author of the piece is Aaron Nava, who joins us now. Aaron, how are you tonight? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Scott? I am. Listen, I'm well, and I I read this piece and I thought, boy, this, this kind of sounds exactly what we are chatting about. I haven't seen it written anywhere else, and I thought it's really not saying that we're brilliant because you had the same thought. Although you know, maybe who knows? But the idea here. Well, take us through the idea very briefly. We're going to dive into it, but take us through the idea of what you think is going on in the entertainment world right now.
3: Yeah, so uh, entertainers are under all sorts of new pressures uh, brought about in particular since everyone started communicating on social media all the time and particularly commenting on and criticizing each other and bringing each other down to, you know, ensure that anyone who has a, a view that that doesn't sit right with them uh, gets gets called out, or that they respond to other people calling them out and um, is, uh, is you know either you know removed from projects or pressure is put on them to do so. and you can see that in, um, in all sorts of entertainment. And the other way this manifests is that more people who you know aren't challenging in quite that way. Are making projects so you see a law of entertainment that openly signals its political virtues to people who wouldn't have a problem with it and actively endorse such things even if it doesn't reflect a mainstream sort of consensus
0: i mean it's a pretty it's a pretty logical conclusion to come to and i think we can sort of narrow it down to A pretty easy thing. If if I'm a Democrat and you are a movie producer and you make a movie that is sympathetic to Donald Trump, chances are I'm not going to watch it and I'm going to scream and yell and be mad at anyone who was involved. If I'm a Republican and you make a movie that's glowing in its depiction of Hillary Clinton, I'm probably not going to go and buy a ticket. So if you are creating a, regardless of which political side you're on, you've cut out half your potential audience before you even turn down the lights. I mean, that, that sounds like it's a self-defeating situation.
3: Yeah, very much so. And if, uh, if things head in the direction where, uh, more and more projects lean specifically in one direction or the other, then, um, that's not good for, for the business or for consumers.
0: I mean, it's a very broad question, and I think a lot of people have asked this. But isn't entertainment supposed to be an escape from all the stuff that we deal with in life? Aren't you supposed to go and turn on the TV or go to a theater and not have to think about all these things for a couple hours?
3: Oh yes, yes. Uh, that's that's very much the hope. You know, uh, you can go out and, and watch a, a glorious space epic, although perhaps not the Mandalorian with uh, with various <laughs> casts, with the cast member being removed. Um, you know. And, you know, then you you can't even view uh, the the stories taking place in a galaxy far, far away without it uh, um, being brought back to Earth. So uh, it's, uh, it's definitely an issue.
0: But the thing is, Aaron, there's always been politics involved in art or music or movies. I mean, war protest songs. Go back to the Vietnam War and Bob Dylan. I mean, that was commonplace. Movies have always had... A message but we've for the longest time we were able to still go still watch still appreciate the movie or the art and not hate the person involved because of the politics and finish and walk away and say that was either a good movie or a bad movie based on how good or bad it was now it appears that that we don't do that that well anymore
3: yes it's really interesting because people say well you know this isn't a A free speech issue and where the government's concerned in many ways it's not it's sort of we have this new panopticon sort of thing going on where we're all observing each other and you know discussing each other in more and more public ways that can be you know used uh, used against us by people who who might not uh, be our friends and it's it's making it hard for people to do things that other people disagree with just through the the sheer force of, you know, several thousand people, you know, liking and sharing a post about, you know, how terrible what you're doing is. That's a lot but, more than a lot of people can withstand. And it's not something you you certainly saw in the Vietnam era.
0: But Aaron, don't we hear all the time from artists, whether it's musicians or actors or whatever, don't we hear all the time when they get up on stage and t- at these award shows talk about their bravery and how brave they were to, you know, take on this role or fulfill this obligation or do whatever we hear about the bravery all the time if you if you do nudity on film it was brave if you if you portray someone who was maybe just like he was brave where's the bravery when it comes to just saying i'm doing this and if you don't like the politics too bad but i think it was a good story
3: yes well it's it's brave in the sense certainly that um you know if you make a, a film with the uh, nudity in it or what have you um certain people will say oh that's you know. In violation of public decency, but if you're with a whole bunch of other people who are very much in favor of um, you know violating those particular norms, then it can help you get ahead to uh, you know display art of that fashion. And certainly, if if you are one of the few people who can really push through these pressures and uh, put out art that's you know generates a great deal of controversy of the other sort, uh, I'm thinking you know Dave Chappelle. Uh, ricky gervais occasionally um uh, joe rogan uh these folks um have, have uh, generated very lucrative careers doing this but because there's so few so few people who are able to fill that niche nowadays
0: well and because you have to be willing to take a ton of abuse if you're going to go against the the overall grain
1: you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
0: Aaron, you know, we've talked about entertainers and how this is being affected because they are finding themselves in the middle of these culture wars and leaning to one side or the other, and then we follow them or don't. But it goes beyond that because we're now seeing seeing tons of political messaging written right into the TV shows or the movies. So even if you can avoid an actor who may be political, chances are you're going to get political messaging in what you're watching very often.
2: Yes,
3: yes, that's right. Um, I wrote in my piece about uh, Enola Holmes. Uh, That one is uh, about, you know, a fictional uh, sister to Sherlock Holmes who um, goes on uh, an adventure of her own to um, ensure that, um, uh, well, spoilers, that uh, a vote on uh, women's suffrage goes ahead as usual in the face of uh, violent opposition. Um, and it's very, very critical of, of the Victorian era, despite all the set pieces. And, you know, many, many times Sherlock himself is, is chastened for, for his moral inadequacies. And it, it's, it, it, I imagine it would be a little bit strange to watch if you were a big fan of, of Sherlock Holmes and Victorian period pieces. And, um, you you were brought to, uh, the conclusion repeatedly, uh, by the, this entertainment that, um, what you enjoy here was uh, very much bad. And uh, the costumes and set pieces are are best enjoyed when uh, the characters in the story are all setting about to fix things.
0: And this is becoming, and and here's the thing, this is becoming um, uh, part of the infrastructure, I guess, in the entertainment industry. And I mean, we talked about the Academy Awards off the top. We now have criteria that you have to meet as far as who can be working on the film in order to have the to be possibly up for an Academy Award. If you don't meet certain criteria now, you can't be eligible to win. Never before in history, I don't think, have we ever told artists what they have to include or whom they have to include or how they have in their art or how they do their art. This is new.
3: Yes, that's right. Um, this, I suppose, is the uh, the long tail effect of the Oscars So White controversy. Um, in a year where it's quite possible that, you know, reasonable Academy members may have, you know, made perfectly reasonable choices about uh, the films in question. I remember Will Smith's concussion, you know, he was complaining about the, the awards as well that year. And it, it wasn't that grave a film. It wasn't widely liked by a lot of folks. Um, and, and yeah, it just sort of co- codifies that, you know, certain certain uh, racial groups and what have you need to be uh, be present in films to certain degrees in order to be, Eligible for their official awards, the most prestigious awards in the American film industry, uh, which has, you know, uh, enormous effects and certainly will will change the the content of of art produced in ways that, you know, don't necessarily have have anything to do with uh, the quality of the entertainment value.
0: Well, no, and, and look for the record. Uh, certainly, I, I support, and I'm sure Aaron does too, and everyone listening supports the idea of minorities having the opportunity to work in the entertainment industry the same way as anyone else. It shouldn't even be an issue about whether. I mean, if you can do the job, it shouldn't matter what color you are. But this is now, as I say, it's it's, it's just an it's another layer of politics being put into it. Even if you agree with the idea, and that's fine too, but it's more political. Stuff going into it, I, I do wonder. Going back to the artist, though, Aaron, if we now see that what you've written about here, and I think you're on to something here, uh, that that if we now have these tribes that actors who are very politically active on the left, people on the right don't necessarily want to support them. People who are very active on the right, who are very conservative actors, uh, people on the left want to say, no, we don't want to watch them. Is this going to make the actors who keep their nose out of politics, stay off Twitter, stay off social media, just be actors as opposed to activists. Is this going to make their stock go way up? Our studio is now going to be looking, going, man, I want to hire him and her because I haven't cut out half my audience before they even do a scene.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, what's, uh, what's the classic line for, for getting ahead from, from the, the play Hamilton talk less. Smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. If you're not on Twitter causing trouble, um, then, you know, that won't uh, they can't hurt you. You know, when it comes to searching for future roles based on that, Um, that's that's definitely an advantage. Clearly, there are some folks who want to uh, normalize um, the the, the search for for actors based on who performs uh, their preferred politics most passionately. To the point where not hiring someone like that would be an obstacle, but there will always be consequences to that, and um, and I, I, I imagine that we'll see pushback on forces like that in coming years.
0: Fascinating story. It's called "Entertainment Tribalism and the Loss of Common Ground." It's a really interesting read. Whether you agree, whether you disagree, it's worth a read. It's in the C to C letter C number two letter C C to C Journal. Uh, Aaron Nava, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Our good friend Steve Foxcroft, sports guy, NFL official, uh, broadcaster, all, all kinds of things in the world of sports. Steve, how are you tonight? I'm doing good, Scott. How are you? I I, I got many hats I wear, right? You, you have too many. You need more heads is what you need. Yeah, that's what I need for sure. Yeah. You so you know, it. if you if you had been born in Chernobyl, you would have been perfectly designed for all the hats you wear. Oh, I think sometimes my family wonders about that, whether I uh, was born somewhere else too. <laughs> you're the, you're the adopted one, are you? Not, yeah, they haven't I told you be. yet. Yeah, I could. Let be. me ask Steve. Let me ask you this question. There was a story that came out um, earlier the Wednesday. So yesterday, this story broke, and there was a vote of 3,500, I guess potential or maybe. Already in, but Olympic athletes. And the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, asked them, should we allow or not allow demonstrations at the games on the podium, wherever else? Do we want to allow athletes to make political, not verbal, but physical political statements or whatever else? You know, the hand and the fist by John Carlos or kneeling or whatever else. And they have apparently decided by vote, no political statements no demonstrations no nothing that is not going to be allowed in tokyo agree or disagree with that well i would
4: like to see if that they don't but will they be able to enforce it is the thing that i wonder about because as much as we don't want that and it's not the place for it how many of them do like how many of them will be limited to political statements or something and I'd be afraid of them getting into other things and other matters that are very touchy and the things that we're trying to get rid of in society and especially in sports. So I think they're a lot, they're going down the right path to say, no, we won't do it, but it's the enforcement of it because as we know, it's not going to be unanimous, right? And, and will we be able to enforce the radicals who will use it as a, as a point which they can get some publicity and make their statement right and and i think they would i don't think if you just say no what are they going to do turn out the lights or something or come by and take them off the podium so it's tricky but i just worry about the enforcement of it
0: uh 70 by the way say no to expressing your views in some way on the field 70 percent say no at official ceremonies and 67 said no on the podium To your Mm. question, I guess, I mean, uh, we saw what happened with Ben Johnson, different situation entirely, of course, but we saw that the IOC was able to retract a medal after it had been given again, very different scenario. But I suppose that if you had someone get up on a podium and do something that was politically motivated or gave some sort of demonstration or sign or whatever, white supremacy or fist in the air or whatever, I guess they could say your medal has been taken away from you, you broke the rules. I don't know if they would, but I guess they could.
4: They could do that. And and at that point, you're, it's not like you're going to run over and give the medal back to them, right? You're just going to take off out of there, go to the airport and leave town with your medal. And a lot of athletes, let's face it, they're one and done when it comes to Olympic competition too, right? So even if they barred them like, okay, in four years, you're not going to be able to come back and defend your Gold, silver, or bronze medal or something like that. Really, I think a lot of them would say, no, this is more important to me to uh, show where I feel and how I, you know, feel strongly about a certain thing and go from there. But I just think it's, it's going to be too hard because really, if you take it away in the record books or something like that too, everybody knows once you're on the podium after that, it doesn't really matter that an announcer on TV is going to say, well, four years ago, Scott Radley was first, and Steve Foxcroft was second. And but remember, they did this, so we stripped them of their medals.
0: Right, and and go back. I mean, I, I come back to the Ben Johnson example. I mean, we know that Ben Johnson won that race, and we know Carl Lewis came second, and he ended up getting the gold. But you know that that's a rarity. Think of any mm-hmm. other because it was such a big deal. Think of any other Olympian who's lost a championship, who's lost a medal because of some scenario and tell me who won. You can't because those you, can't. The, you, you only remember that moment. And and Steve, you take a medal from someone who gets up on a podium and it, as long as the political statement or whatever they do is not like you know someone flashes a white supremacy sign, they're not going to be sympath- a sympathetic character, but you do something that is against a, you know, someone bad, and the Olympics come in and take the medal away, you've now created a martyr. You've made it worse if you're the IOC. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. And
4: what did we all think about Carl Lewis, right? It's like he was the same. They just didn't catch him. But, you know, the one thing I think about, too, more so than that they took a medal away or something like that, the ones that stick out to me are the the sadder, the sadder, sad story, sorry, people that train for the four years and then just have a, a blip or something right and something goes wrong you miss the start or something like perdita for remember her yep. with the hurdles yep. and and so on so like i actually remember that more than i would like you said who came in second who ended up getting that i would i remember those kind of stories more so
0: i'm frankly surprised the numbers are as high as they are among the athletes Because especially these days, athletes, many of them like the opportunity to make a kind of political statement. So I'm very surprised they're as high as they are. But here's the other thing. I can see the IOC being very happy that this is put into play now because, you know, at Tokyo, how many political statements are you really going to get? There would be some if it was allowed, but think seven, eight, nine months from now, whatever it is, when Beijing, assuming we go to Beijing, Mm -hmm when you've got the situation with Taiwan and Hong Kong and the Uyghurs and the two Michaels and whatever else, you could have non-stop political posturing and political statement making. And I think the IOC, I don't think they're really worried at all about what happens in Tokyo. They're trying to get this thing snuffed out before anyone gets to China and does stuff.
4: Yeah, I think you're right there. And it's just a, it's a sad situation that we get to this point where, you know, some of them could use it if you don't do it on the podium, you're going to be on the talk show circuit. You're going to be on the speaker circuit for the next year, at least following. Right. And maybe that could be your opportunity to, to make a statement, to make a stand, to let the world know how you feel about a certain situation and, and be maybe more political at that point. And you're going to have almost as big of an audience uh, doing it that way too.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, look, I I'm in favor of not having it. I I like the idea that we can watch sports and competition and it doesn't turn into that. That said, Steve, anybody IOC or otherwise, anybody who says, yeah, the IOC are pure and this should not be about politics. The entire Olympics is about politics. That's for sure. And money, right? All about the cash and following the cash. And I'd like to see,
4: how do we get ourselves on that IOC board? Yeah, Because those people seem to have a nice life and their pockets get lined.
0: Yeah, but I mean, look at all the, yes, I mean, it, especially under the days of Juan Antonio Summer Ranch, when that was going on and we were hearing those stories. I mean, it, yeah, it was a pretty sweet deal, but I mean, why, why do Canada, why do all the other countries put millions of dollars into their athletes, but for the fact that it's a political thing, because we want to show that our country is the best. Why do countries vie to host the Olympics? because it's a political thing. I mean, to somehow say the Olympics are pure as the driven snow and politics never enter into it, uh, come on,
4: that's ludicrous. it's Its birth is all about the politics too, right? And you know what I find interesting is as we go forward with the way the world is now, how many countries will be stepping up and putting their hands up to host the Olympics
0: too? Well, very few because it's become so expensive. The only ones seemingly that can afford it are countries that are operated by strongmen or by, you know, not democracies. If the taxpayers mm-hmm. get to have a say, they're like, no, no, we're, we're not interested in putting in $25 billion or whatever Tokyo is, which is the outlier. Who have we had for the Olympics lately? Beijing? Uh, Rio, which went completely haywire Sochi, where they spent 51 billion dollars and nobody had a say in that back to Beijing now Is the legacy
4: worth it? Is the legacy that's left behind with some sports stadiums and maybe a little bit of housing like the Olympic Village and so on is that worth the billions and putting your country most countries, let's face it they're in debt to begin with so going into more debt to host
0: I would say, um, most people would say, no, let's, let's, Mm -hmm. if we can have some infrastructure, great. If we can do it at a reasonable cost, great. But I think the way the Olympics are going, a lot of people are saying, yeah, that's, that's now at a level that we're just not interested. You know, too,
4: Scott, this is just, I thought of this too, um, I don't know if you buy lotto max or six, four, nine tickets or anything like that, but that's when lotteries started in our country was for the 1976 Montreal Olympics.
0: Yeah. And, and how many years after were we still paying to build that yeah. stupid stadium in Montreal? Yeah. That, you know, and that's so they
4: call it the big O.
0: <laughs> yeah. OWE.
4: OWE. Yeah.
0: Let me switch for a second here because, but we got a couple minutes left and I want to ask you about this. Uh, just baffled today. Uh, By a basketball story, Michael Grange from Sportsnet puts out a tweet. So, in a must-win game versus the Wizards, because the Raptors are now hanging on to a possible playoff spot by their fingertips. I mean, they are Mm. almost done. In a must-win game versus the Wizards, Kyle Lowry is out under the category of rest. They're giving Kyle Lowry the night off because he needs to rest. How – look (laughs) – this is ludicrous. Why, if you were going to rest your arguably best player in the most crucial game of your season, why did you not trade him at the trade deadline and just get him out of there? This is idiocy. Right. And get something, you know. Something. Uh,
4: like we used to say in the hockey terms, a bag of pucks, something Anything. like that. But yeah, that's a, it's. I think it's frustrating for the fans, but I think it also tips the hand of what they decided to do, right? Which and, is... Uh, I think that's what it, basically what it's telling us.
0: They don't really want to win. They want to make sure they don't get into the playoffs where they're going to get obliterated in the first round. We'd rather get into the draft lottery and maybe get lucky and maybe get a really good draft pick. But Yeah,
4: get get a top eight pick, something like that. And Because uh, the team looks really good when they're at full strength at times, right? And they've kind of solidified the center position. So maybe for next year, we'll see who's back, and I think they'll be competitive.
0: I know, but I just, this, this to me just stinks. This, this one stinks because we all know that you're either going to go for it or you're going to, they won't say the word, but tank. You're either going to try and get a great draft pick or not. But this is just, they don't seem to know what they want to do. I mean, if you wanted good, to tank. They're, yeah,
4: they're not good at it. Last time they tried when they got rid of Rudy Gay, it kind of backfired. They ended up going on a seven-year playoff uh, run.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, if you, if you want to be bad and you want to, you know, not win, don't wait till this one when it's so obvious. All right. Now, maybe we're missing something. Maybe, maybe Kyle Lowry has come down with a case of mono and they put rest because he's just so exhausted he can't get out of bed. I somehow doubt that. Yeah. And coming back
4: from the West Coast, you know, it is tough coming back from the West Coast. But you still, I think it's just they're showing their true colors now frustrating though as a fan
0: well it's very frustrating as a fan and it's it's because again I think that people I don't think people like the tank idea I think it's bad for the sport quite honestly but we do know even if it's bad for the sport we know teams do it there's no question that teams do it so if you're gonna tank Trade him at the deadline, get something, get your good draft pick, but making, trying to make a run and now trying to tank when it's too late, you know what they're going to be? They are going to be what the Leafs were for so many years, where they finished Mm. in the last playoff spot or missed the playoffs by the, they were the last team to miss it. So you never got a good draft pick, but you you never never made a great one, but you never got into the playoffs or did anything there anyway. Mm -hmm. So you just hung around in limbo. Right.
4: And, I don't know. you know, even if that's the case too, all their games are going down to the last possession or two also. So is it blatant or is it, you know, or is it just
0: like I say, frustrating as a fan? Well, you can't win and you can't lose. Right. You so you, you end up in the mushy middle and then you you watch what'll happen. I don't even, I don't know who's up in the draft this year. I don't know if it's a great draft mm-hmm. or not a great draft, but the, the Raptors will finish in the spot as the team right after the last great player is called. Right.
4: <laughs> Exactly. That's what it'll be, and and you know it is like you say it's tough, like all the sports right now to to do your proper um, scouting and everything, right? Because all the leagues and teams and the, even college they didn't play a full season, so it's it's hard to scout and really find out for certain what you're getting.
0: And I know I we've seen NBA teams before. I can't remember who what was it San Antonio a few years ago that decided to sit everybody in a game and they got fined, but they said, well, we're resting our players. Why do the NHL teams never do this? Every other right. league rests players leading into the playoffs. You don't see NHL teams. I mean, we saw the Leafs give a couple of guys a day, up, but they were banged up. It wasn't just let's just take time off. W- w- why would the Leafs not at this point let Austin Matthews get his 40th goal and then say, don't play again until the playoffs? So you get rest and you don't get hurt. But hockey teams never do this.
4: Yeah, you you get rest, you don't get hurt, and you heal a bit. Like with Austin Matthews, don't chance that his wrist will get banged up again or let it heal even more, that type of thing, and and be ready to go for the games that
0: matter. They don't do it, though, and I I honor that. I think that's a great thing that they don't do that and they're the Mm -hmm. only ones. Same time, uh, I think Leaf fans will have a collective – aneurysm if all of a sudden austin matthews hurts his wrist the last game before playoffs or mitch marner hurts his knee or something they'll lose their minds but you know they don't do it anyway steve foxcroft we all we always love having you on thanks for taking a few minutes today really appreciate this no problem anytime scott talk soon